This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. You guys did awesome. Thank you so much. Come on. Let's go ahead and give it up for him. We can do better than that. Come on. So I want to dive into this message today that I think is an important one for the times that we're in in both the country and as a church. The church as a whole, um, um, we're not talking about just our church or even the church of God. We're talking about the, his church as a whole has been attacked before. We can read scripture upon scripture of, in the Bible of the persecuted church. And what happens every time the church is persecuted is we see the church grows. There's always growth in the persecution. There's always something, there's always something new that God wants to bring out of a bad situation. And I've been thinking many times just over the years on, you know, historically speaking, how the church has grown through persecution, yet it seems in current day America we don't see that as much anymore. And I'm curious on why that is. Is it lack of faith? Is it misinterpretation of scripture? Or maybe, and hear me out today, and it's what I want to speak on, is it a lack of knowledge and understanding regarding what the Bible says about warfare and how we're supposed to handle it? You see, they had Jesus in the flesh, right? They had Jesus teaching them what to say, teaching them what to do. And even though we don't have Jesus in the flesh today, we do have Jesus in the spirit. And it's our job to listen to what the spirit is speaking. So even though I can't see him in person, even though, church, there will be a day when, when we will. Amen. Even though I can't see him in the flesh, I can listen to what the Spirit is saying. And I want to talk to you today that through warfare, which I believe the church is in today, that there is an antidote for the warfare, and it's the anointing of Jesus on his people. And I want to talk today about the level of prayer that comes with that level of anointing to beat that level of warfare. Paul tells his church, and, and, and you don't have to go there with me today because I'm going to be reading a bunch of them. But Paul writes a bunch of letters to uh, the churches and, and he warns them. He tells them what to do. He kind of maps out a plan for how they are to beat warfare. And Tyler, if you'll go ahead and put the very... um. um yeah, so here, here's what Paul is writing. He's saying, for I know that through your prayers and God's what? Of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Another passage says, turns out for my good. Now watch what he says here. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. Now, I want to stop there because how powerful are those words? How many times do we meet a co-worker, do we meet a friend, and we feel the urging of the Holy Spirit, the anointing upon us to share the love of Jesus Christ, but yet we're afraid on how they're going to receive it. We're afraid on how they're going to take it. We're afraid, well, they just might not be my friend. They might reject me. They might not want to talk to me. And here's what Paul is telling the church. He's saying, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have courage so now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Now watch what he says next. 
whether by life or by death. He says, this may kill me. This may take every breath that I have in my body, but it's not a lack of faith that's going to take me. It's Jesus Christ that's going to take me. So whether good or whether bad, I will exalt the name of Jesus. That's what he says. So Paul the Apostle, if you don't know, he's in prison. He, he is having to go up against Nero, which if you don't know, doesn't have a good reputation in his treatment of Christians. Paul writes this with his conflict in mind, with the church in mind, and with a deep sense of humility. Now I want you to understand this passage. This passage points to the dependency of Paul on the church's prayer ministry and the Holy Spirit to empower him to win in battles of warfare. These two points go hand in hand. Prayer and the anointing for the work of the church. Paul was dependent on the church praying for him and equally dependent on the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But let me say this morning that you can pray without the anointing. You can. But you will never have the anointing without prayer. You must have a consistent prayer life to bring about the anointing. The importance of prayer in, in, in spiritual warfare is evident in Paul again. So he writes to the church at, uh, he writes to this next church and he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy's schemes. For our struggle is not against our flesh or your flesh or against people, or, but against the rulers, against the powers of this dark world, against the um, spiritual um, uh, forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, it says, put on the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. Now watch this. After you have done everything to stand, then it says be bold. To stand firm. That means that I've locked myself in place and it doesn't matter what the enemy throws at me, I'm not going anywhere. He can bring at me this, he can bring at me that. It doesn't, it will not rock my faith because my faith is ground in Jesus Christ and there's nothing that can take that away. So once you've done everything to stand, he says stand firm. Well, how do we stand firm? He says with the belt of truth around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with, the, um, uh, with, with your um, feet. With the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Which you can extinguish all the arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all the occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind. Now watch this. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then he says this. But pray also for me. That whenever I speak. Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly. Make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am in. in watch this. He's in a prison. He's in jail. He's saying that I'm in chains. Pray that I may declare it as I should. This is combat zone praying. This is warfare prayer right here. 
It is the church living on its knees to secure the anointing for battle that we need. It's warfare praying. And in praying, the Holy Spirit urged me to discuss the anointing in prayers. And I'm going to go to another letter of Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Watch this. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. Let me read that again. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. What's that mean? We're not out here to fight each other. We're out here to fight the adversary, the enemy that has come up against us. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard work, look, look, he's, he's sharing all these details of what it takes to win in war. Paul is comparing our preparation for battle to that of one who might live on a farm, to that of an athlete, to that of a soldier. He's saying that you have to be hard, meaner than the adversary. You have to be committed. You have to be accustomed to bad atmospheres, to bad climates. You must handle exposure to the elements, both heat and cold. You must be able to carry your own weight. You must be able to carry the weight of others if need be. You must be trained in every possible maneuver against the enemy. You must use every weapon that you have and be accustomed to long trips. You may also have to be trained he says similarly anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules now i want to stop there and i and i want to break this down and i want to take uh, I, there there's a lot of good meat in this message i've only got about nine pages so we shouldn't take too long here okay so just bear with me just bear with me Paul used relevant terms in his day. He used terms of athletes, of sports, because he knows that then, just as today, everybody can relate to, can, can relate to either a sport, something with the um, army or something with a farm, that everybody can relate to something like that. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, have nothing to do with the godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Another word, train. It is an athletic term. It means you have to do something. You have to discipline yourself. You have to exercise. The word discipline translates as gumnazo, which literally means to practice naked. Now, uh, we're, we're going to take some time with this because what this term was originally used for was the athletes that were training for combat sports, usually in the Greek games. There were uh, different forms of combat sports, boxing, wrestling, and um, a pancreatist. And um, a pancreatist were, was a martial arts type boxing, which was a combination of wrestling and boxing. All It's what we would call the MMA, right? 
So they, they, they had that type of um, sports back then. And what they had to do was they, they competed with no clothes on. They uh, competed naked. Why? So there would be nothing to interfere with their ability to be able to fight. They had to cleanse their body completely so that nothing hindered them for the battle that was about to come. Remember, Paul is describing the people before the actual competition. In other words, listen, there's a season of preparation before you can actually engage in combat. There is a season of training that we have to go through. There's preparation that must take place. There's a season of learning. There's a season of trial before you're equipped for the real thing. And this right here is why I think the persecuted church of today isn't reacting like the persecuted church of yesterday. David was not anointed as king right, right away. There was a preparation that took place before he got there. He was in the fields tending to the sheep long before he was made king. There was a time of training, of, of seasoning, of preparation that he had to go through. And the whole time that he was tending the sheep, the whole time that he was taking a sandwich to his friends, was the time that the Lord was training him what it meant to be king. In the same way, there is a training that we have to go through in order to, to get into spiritual warfare. You can't just walk into it without knowing what you're doing. Because if you do, harm can come. Because I, we don't like to say it, and we don't like to preach it, but the enemy has power. He's very powerful. He's very strong. Stronger than you are in your flesh. But that's why God gave us His Holy Spirit to live with us so that we can fight the enemy's schemes. Let's be real. There's some things that we go through in life that a now I lay me down to sleep prayer don't fix. So how do we do that? Paul writes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That word literally means to wrestle. It means intense conflict. In other words, whoever fights the hardest, the meanest, and lasts the longest is the winner. So I want to unpack this. My inject, my, my, the, the objective for this, passage, for this message to me today isn't to talk about the actual battle, but it's to talk about the prep work that goes on before the battle takes place. So hang with me for, for just a moment. Back in the Greek games, there was a building that every athlete had to walk into. It was called the Palestra. And it was a sports building, and, um, and the word comes from a Greek word meaning bitter conflict. It literally means house of conflict. So every athlete would be required to go into what they call the palestra. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, this building was packed with men who were training for war. Mind you, they were not there to fight. They were there to learn how to fight. They were striving for the mastery. The building was filled with trainers, with equippers, and experts in how to battle. And Palestra, if you really think about it, is a type of church, a place of training. Why do you think the writers of the Word of God said to not neglect the meeting together? 
that we have to come into the house of the Lord. Why? Because they knew that when you come into the house, that there would be training that goes on that helps us that when we leave those doors, we know how to fight. Because let me tell you something. Life doesn't just stop when you walk in these doors. Life isn't just put on pause and, and then we have a holy anointing come over us and then we go out the walls and, and everything just seems to be okay again. No, some of the same problems that you walked in here with are the same ones you have to fight when you leave the door. The purpose of this building is to train you on how to fight. It's to train you how to overcome. It's to train you what to do. It's called the palestra. So these men would go in and everything that you could think that would be in this building was there. Weight equipment, exercise equipment, weapons. It, it was a place of training, but it was also a place of nakedness. The first place the athlete would come into was the apodietarium. I hope I said that right. Which means the place of undressing. They take all their clothes off. Because remember, the Greek games were done without clothes. They, this removed anything that would hinder them from battle. Because you'll never be able to walk boldly into battle if there is something, sin, that might be hindering you from being able to compete. They had to rid themselves of everything that might slow them down. Now I hope you hear, you're, you're hearing me today because when warfare comes and if we are expected to fight, we can't do so with extra baggage. We have to lay them down at the feet of Jesus so that we are cleansed and purified and ready to fight. Why take off their clothes? The Bible says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit Envy, slander of every kind. Move on to, 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 um, to um, James chapter 1. It says, therefore what? Get rid of all moral filth. Move on to uh, the next one. It says you were taught with regard. It says to put off your old self. Go on to your next one. Colossians chapter 3. Do not lie to each other since you have what? Taken off your old self. You see, there comes a time where you and your spirit must become naked so that the anointing can come upon you so that you can fight the battles that you have to face. These terms literally emphasize the removal of something like an old set of clothes. We must cleanse ourselves to prepare for the anointing. Now in the middle of this room were huge hot baths. In, in, in another section of this room, there were huge slabs of marble that were made like tables. And after the bathing, the athletes would lie down on the table for what would be the very first of several anointings that would take place before they walked into battle. Now watch this. This is where it gets good. You couldn't go anywhere in the arena without first being cleansed. You couldn't go anywhere in the arena without first being anointed. So after bathing, again, you're taken to these marble slabs. There were no shortcuts to this step. And it wasn't just an ordinary anointing. It was very pricey. It was a very expensive oil. The oil was rubbed hard and deep into the skin. The trainers would do this for hours at a time and make sure that the entire body was covered. Sometimes it was painful. The trainer would press the oil deep into your pores. Now there was a reason why they would do this. Because rubbing the oil deep into the pores would stop the dirt and grime from penetrating into the athlete's skin during battle. So once the athlete removed their clothes, everything that would potentially hinder them in a fight, the oil would then purify it. 
And so they would be naked and they would be purified. You see, there's a process. You can't just walk in and be oiled down without the removing of your clothes. You can't just walk in and be oiled down and expect. No, there's a process that has to take place. We have to understand that when we're in battle, when we're in warfare, when there is something that seems to be against us in this life, I can't just walk into the arena and not be prepared. There's a purifying. Step one is prep work for number two. We must all, we must allow our trainer to put us through the cleansing process. Second Corinthians chapter one says, now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Listen. Before there is an anointing, there is first a time to not give up ground. There is a boldness that has to take place. Satan, I will not allow sickness in my home. Satan, I will not allow my marriage to be attacked. It's a boldness. It says, now it is God who makes both you and I stand firm. And the scripture then says he anointed us. So you're bold, you're anointed. He sets the seal of ownership and put his spirit in our heart as a deposit. Now watch this. When I put a deposit on a car or when I put a deposit on a house, I am preparing for what is already guaranteed me. I don't think you heard me. When he deposits his spirit in you, he is guaranteeing what is already to come. When the Holy Spirit is deposited in you, it no matter what battle you may face, that deposit has guaranteed the outcome. Yet we are still afraid. We still fear. We're still scared. We're still wondering, where is God? This is why so many people start out and quit in the arena of prayer. There's no boldness. They want to be a pro in practice, but an amateur in the training. It's in the training that allows you to put it into practice. I tell my teams all the time, you play how you practice. You practice how you play. It goes both ways. If you practice not very well, you're probably not going to play very well, right? You have to train the right way. Now, here's where it gets good because we have the place of nakedness and then we have this time for anointing. But then after you've had the very first oil rubbed deep into the pores of your skin, then comes the second anointing. So here's where we are. We're in the palace truck. We've removed our clothes. We've had this oil rubbed deep into our skin. Once anointed in the first room, you're then taken to the second. The oil from the original room was meant to soak into the body for purity. The second oil is meant to remain on, not in, but on the skin. It's a heavy oil. It's an oil that's meant to remain for battle. It's very much like grease. The oil made the athlete slippery to where when the adversary or the opponent tried to grab onto him, his hands slid right off because the anointing covered you. You hearing me today? It was an expensive oil. You see... It was free to the athlete, but it cost the trainer. The trainer would have to purchase the oil. 
And some of the athletes would take advantage of it and say, because I don't have to pay for it, I'll just rub the oil off expecting the trainer to just put more on. You see, but it didn't work like that. It didn't work like that. They could not take advantage of the anointing. That when the oil was rubbed onto their skin, that was it. That was what they had. This room was temperature controlled. The trainer would not apply the oil until the temperature was just right so that the oil would remain on the skin. You see, there's a perfect controlled in the right atmosphere, a place of timing in your life when the, the anointing is applied. In other words, you have to be willing to be in the right place at the, the, the right time to, to receive it. Now, I love this part because once you've gone through the part of cleansing, once you've received the oil that goes down deep into your pores, once you've received this thick grease-like anointing that is meant to, 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 to be slippery, you're then put inside the hot box. Now, the hot box was an open room. It had a sand floor to where the heat was absorbed into the floor and there was no roof so that the sun would beat down on the athlete. If in there for too long, the athlete would die. Remember, he's got hot grease on his back. So he's sitting in here. What's he doing? He's getting the temperature just right. He's being put through some heat, okay? Because competition took place during the hottest time of the year. So the preparation for the heat was imperative. If you were unprepared for the heat, then it would wear even the best athlete down. But let me tell you what also it did. It, it made his skin hot to touch. So again, when he went into battle, not only was he slippery to where his opponent couldn't hold on to him, but now it was too hot to touch. I can't touch him. There's anointing all over him. Let me tell you, child of God, when you've got the anointing all over you, it, it, the enemy can't touch you. It's too hot to touch. I can't touch him. He's a child of God. I can't touch him. He's anointed. I can't touch him. The Lord has put his protection over him. I'm telling you, there's something to this anointing. You have the three Hebrew boys who knew what this meant. They walked up to the king when the king looked at them and said, worship me. Anointing dripping off their skin, they said, we will not. Well, I'm going to throw you into this furnace and you will surely die. Okay. That's okay with me. I'm not worried about it. What do you mean you're not worried about it? You just might die. Whether I die or whether I live, my Lord is king. Isn't that just what Paul wrote too? Whether in life or in death, I will worship the Savior. Now for fun. Lord help me. When the event was over, you were then taken back to room number one where the original anointing was placed. The blood, the sweat, the tears are now soaked up into that greasy oil. And the trainer would scrape the oil off of the athlete into a large vat to be reused.
for somebody else. Now watch it. What you face. The blood, the sweat, the tears that you go through to see God come through for you. The anointing that he's placed upon your life. If you stay true to this living God, that anointing can be used for somebody else. And the very thing that you went through, your story, the testimony God gave you can be used to bless somebody else. You see, we're in this together. We're in this not because my story is my own, because but my story is meant to be shared because my story is personal to me so that it might help someone else. So this oil was scraped off and put into this vat. To be used again. What's this mean today? If you'd come. There's a preparation that takes place for warfare. There's a preparation that you have to go through to be ready to pray. The Bible said, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my good. I'm not worried about it because the Lord said he'd protect me. Meaning this, the anointing is enough. He is enough. God is enough. There will be times where you'll go through things that seem unbearable. And I'll use this word because this word has been very um, true to me. It's a, he it's a, a heaviness. Have you ever felt that? Felt a heaviness in your spirit? Where you can't just quite put your hand on it, but something just don't seem right. There's a heaviness. I know they're going through something. I just don't know what it is. There's a heaviness. It's a spiritual attack on your mind, a spiritual attack on your body. It's a heaviness. It feels heavy. And let me tell you, heaviness has an antidote. It has a cure. And it's the anointing of Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't say that we break the yoke. The Bible doesn't say that heaviness breaks the yoke. What's it say? The anointing breaks the yoke. Why else do you think these athletes? Look, Paul described it. Paul told us what we would go through. And Paul told us what we'd have to do to, to get through it. He said, get to the anointing. There's people in this room that I know that are going through stuff. There's people that I know are trying to fight this battle. And it seems like the battle is fought year in and year out and nothing ever gets done. They can't find an answer. I'm telling you. Go to the anointing. The anointing breaks the yoke. 